episode of In The Retreat. My name is Danny. And I'm Nadia. And today, unfortunately, we're going to be looking at horror. Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> horror. So, I've been watching a lot of horror films lately and yeah. Nadia's not a big fan. No, I'm not. <laughs> and I wasn't actually, but I've started to look at horror films as social commentary more than what they really are. Okay, so that takes some of the horror out of it, I guess. Yes, because you're just busy analysing what does this mean to society at large instead of, oh, that's very scary. And that's very <laughs> erudite of you, Danny. <laughs> yeah, and uh, some of the um, common things that are associated with the horror genre in literature and film are the gothic, science fiction, so ideas of the dystopian, mm. and um, the occult, so witches, Celtic myths, etc., and thrillers. Mm-hmm. And some of the most famous um, like thriller filmmakers that we sometimes talk to our students about are people like Alfred Hitchcock, mm-hmm. who used fashion in his film to really bring these ideas forth. No? Yes, and one of the costume designers he would um, work with very often was Edith Head, mm. who has won numerous Academy Awards um, for her work on costumes. And I think they really contribute to the plot. And you were telling me about this film you just watched and how the, the costumes were quite something as well. Yes, so I guess this was one of the starting points for this week's podcast, mm-hmm. which is I just watched In Fabric, a film that was just released this summer by Peter Strickland. And the costume designer is Joe Thompson. And I read a really, really good article on this and confused uh, online. And they were looking at the inspiration behind the costume. And in general, the film has this very Dario Argento 1980s, very lo-fi, kish kind of mm. horror. Mm-hmm. And there's, like, sudden gore, so, like, blood. Mm. But it wasn't very scary. It was more of, like, there's almost this, like, comedic turn in it. And um, the music was amazing. And that contributes a lot, I feel, in horror and thriller films. in, In, like, creating that heartbeat that is expecting something to happen or in fear. Right. So the, the costume designer was looking at the the main protagonist of this film is actually a dress. Mm-hmm. So it's this red dress that you can see here. It's a red dress in chiffon and it comes alive at night and haunts um, the, the people in the film. So without giving too much spoilers... There are very it's a it's a very interesting look at how um, dress and consumerism and desire is created in fashion, and how I mean a lot of horror plays with this idea of desire and what we want as humans and and how that desire is our undoing. Mm-hmm. So this dress um, also is it's bought by the protagonist in this. Um, department store and the department store is of course seen as a place of consumerism and enchantment allure and the the shopkeepers are dressed in this like Edwardian Victorian clothing and they perform these different rituals to entice customers to come and I mean if you look at this metaphorically it really is a kind of comment on on fashion and the fashion system and uh, retail in general, like the kind of um, rituals that we do or the kind of vocabulary we use to get people to buy things, no? Right. And also... Um, 
Well, you know, I mentioned earlier that I don't like horror films, yes. but now that you're talking, uh, you're talking about In Fabric, I did watch a horror film recently called mm-hmm. um, Velvet Buzzsaw. Oh. And yeah, so it's this Netflix film that is about um, the art world. Yes. And I think it kind of, you know, makes fun of the art world. And what was interesting about it was that everyone was dressed as people would in the art world, you know? So, like, the curator would have that um, edgy kind of uh, sense of dressing, yeah. you know, like, something that's cool, something that comes with a twist. And then the the men as well, you know, they would have, you know, this sort of really smart, casual looks, um, but with something that sets them apart, you know, from the rest. Um, and Velvet Buzzsaw is a very interesting film as well because... It is just filled with gore, but I mean, it doesn't really have anything to do with fashion per se in the sense that you are talking about in fabric. Yeah, it's more of the costume design. Exactly, yeah, yeah. but I thought that the costume design, um, and it's by a costume designer called Jim Bissell, mm-hmm. um, was really good too, you know, for telling the story. And as someone who does not much like horror, I really enjoyed the costumes, so that was something good about it. Yeah. <laughs> I, I watched it too, I, I also thought that the the styling was really good. Mm. And And of course, I mean, we are seeing in the fashion collections um, in the past season that horror has also featured very heavily. Mm -hmm. So for example, you know, with um, Balenciaga, with Vetmong, with Comme des Garçons, with Rick Owens, there was something about horror in all these collections, um, whether it's in what the models wore or even in the clothes themselves. So, for instance, at Balenciaga, they wore um, blood red contact lenses mm-hmm. that made the the models look like cyborg killers. Um, <laughs> there was also um, Comme des Garçons with Rikao Kubo saying that it was like a gathering of shadows. So, something about, you know, things becoming really dark and um, yeah. macabre. And with Muchia um, Prada, she also included uh, inspirations from horror films as well, like Frankenstein, um, Rocky Horror Picture Show. And I think in these fashion collections, we are seeing a kind of reflection of people's feelings, you know, about Mm -hmm. the state of society in general. I think that's generally what we see in the fashion industry, right? Whatever's happening is a reflection of what's happening in society at the time and a mirroring of people's concerns or preoccupations. And I think with these collections... Um, is to do with, I guess, the, the sorry state of the, the world. world in some <laughs> sense, um, of politics, politics yes. for instance. Um, for example, I think one of the biggest things would be, of course, Trump in power um, in the United States of America and how that has um, a permeating effect or you know pervasive kind of an effect on, on the world. But if we look back in history, we can also see that other designers have looked to horror for mm-hmm. their inspiration. So one of the biggest um, names in fashion would be Alexander McQueen. And I think from the very first collection he put together for his graduation at Central St. Martins, um, that collection was called Jack the Ripper Stocks His Victims. You know, so again, we can see that there was something really dark about that. Um, And I think it adds, you know, these layers to his collection and that's what makes his collection so compelling. And he would return to this time and time again. So for instance, in 1998 for his fall winter collection, he focused on um, Joan of Arc. 
Um, but there was like this ring of fire, I think, I remember, yes. surrounding a model. And coincidentally, he used red contact lenses as well for that collection. So for Winter 1998, which I think Balenciaga referenced in this past season mm-hmm. for their runway sort of styling. And I, I yeah. see it I see it also as a reference to his obsession with British heritage and mm. like Victoriana. Mm-hmm. So the in the Victorian period, I mean Jack the Ripper, if I'm not wrong, was in a a story that is set in Victorian England. Right. And this idea of um obsessions with death, so there was the memento mori and how it was rumored that um Alexander McQueen would leave a lock of hair in garments that he made. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, it's a reference to how um, memento mori are reminders of death. Mm-hmm. So things like locks of hair, they were very popular in Victorian England. Right, so they would wear them in the necklaces? Yeah, in, in lockets. Right. Yeah. Okay, and of course, McQueen also took inspiration from films as well, like Alfred Hitchcock's films. Yeah. Like um, for his Spring Summer 95 collection, he took inspiration from the 1963 thriller The Birds. And so he included oh, yeah. Evian prints onto many of the garments. So I think... You know, these designers, they would take, you know, different aspects of horror Mm -hmm. and put them, whether it's within the clothes, like you were talking about the lock of hair, whether it's in the prints or like kind of a subtle reference, um, or it could be to do with like the way they style their models. Um, And I think it's really interesting how, you know, there are all these references that go around and it kind of helps us to understand fashion on a deeper level than just something that clothes the body. Yes. Um, and of course, I think we also see this um, not just within the fashion industry, but in other fields of creativity as well. So, for instance, we're all familiar with Lady Gaga and how, um, you know, she's talking about um, her little monsters yeah. right, and how she's the mother monster. <laughs> and she wears these amazing outfits that, you know, kind of hop to a different kind of world, right? rather yeah. sci-fi. Yeah. Um, yeah, so she was exploring the trope of the monster a lot. And in, I think in the early 2000s, there were films like The Hills Have Eyes, which were exploring monsters, and even Frankenstein. So mm-hmm. when we're looking at monsters, we're looking at, at beings that are kind of like us, but monstrous and grotesque. Mm-hmm. And so Lady Gaga employing monsters and bringing them to contemporary culture and making people not afraid of them it's almost like giving voice to the disenchanted and the people who felt like they were outcast. And I think mm. that's why she had such a huge following. Yeah, I think she really strikes a chord with how she talks about this idea of the monster as something that's very common. I think at any point in our lives, you know, we would have felt um, sort of unpretty, undesired, um, an outcast, you yeah. know, a little grotesque. And she's telling everyone, look, it's okay, you know, everyone feels this way. And, you know, it's really kind of galvanised everyone and kind of made everyone come together. Yeah. Um, you were born this way. You were born <laughs> this way, exactly. <laughs> and I think in the, on the album cover for Born This Way, she has the body of a chopper motorcycle. So she's also quite interesting in that she uses machinery as well, yeah. which sounds quite horrific, yeah. but somehow it works, you know, f- uh, in terms of thinking of ourselves and more yeah. the, as more than just like flesh and blood. Yeah, so the, the alien and the machine have come forth a lot in dystopian mm, films, which sure. are somehow linked to horror. Yeah. And... Of course, now where we're seeing a rise in technology and every time there is a rise in technology, there's a lot of output in terms of thinking about how we're living with this new technology. 
what are the possibilities of it. So uh, the Netflix show again, Black Mirror, was, is a very good example of dystopian technology. And they show us a possible future of, um, of a perfect world, but mm. then we start to realise what the consequences are of this perfection that we're seeking with technology. Yeah. I mean, thinking about Netflix shows, I feel like <laughs> now we're telling everyone that we watch a lot of TV. <laughs> but um, do you know that show Russian Doll? Yes. Um, it's sort of like Groundhog Day, right? Yeah. And the actress um, just wakes up every day at the same time in the bathroom of a friend's house. Yeah. And I thought that was also really fun to watch because they were always wearing the same clothing, obviously, because mm-hmm. they were living the same day over and over again. And to me, that's quite horrific because (laughs) you're just you know stuck in that loop but you know everyone else doesn't know that and that was really fun for me to watch because um you know even though it was not about the fashion obviously because it was just the same thing over and over again Mm -hmm. um but I thought as I was watching that series that I began to see the clothes in a different way with each episode because of what was happening um to the different actors Mm. within that But anyway, speaking about TV, um, I don't know about you, but I have watched TV very often, very regularly all my life. And I remember when I was a kid, I used to watch this thing called Liao Jai. What does that translate Um, as? So that translates as... um, well, I don't really know how to to call it, but it was um, this thing called... um, well, this series of stories, rather. It was a series of 500 tales by um, this author called... Pu Songling. Okay, so it's like a dark Arabian Nights thing. Um, <laughs> well, you would think that it was like, because it's 500 tales. Mm. But actually, it was a really strange kind of uh, series of stories where young scholars, so this was written in like the 1600s, mm-hmm. and young scholars would fall in love with beautiful fox spirits, or we call it Hulizing in Chinese. Oh. And they would meet ghosts in abandoned temples. And corpses would also um, kind of walk around and um, it's all very macabre. So it's yeah. a, a horror genre, definitely. And I remember I used to watch this, you know, after I came back from like kindergarten. Oh my goodness. Um, like, you know, like an afternoon school special. No parental control Well, I think, my, I think my mom was watching it and I was just like, let me join my mom to do this. But it really freaked me out, I think. You know, I would used to have nightmares about it, but it's one of those things where you watch it and then you want to tear your eyes away, but you cannot, you know, mm-hmm. and you sort of just scare yourself senseless. Um, so when we were thinking about doing this horror episode, I thought of this TV series yeah. based on these 500 tales. Um, and I was thinking about how um, the idea of ghosts um, and spirits and corpses, it's such a rich uh, genre in Chinese TV shows and Chinese films. Mm-hmm. So like, you know, coming out from Hong Kong or from Taiwan or from China, you know, these were the, the films of my childhood mm-hmm. and TV shows of my childhood. Yeah. And w- I'm, yeah. I was telling you earlier too that I used to watch TV in my grandma's house and there was this particular scene that really freaked me out of like mm. these Chinese zombies. Right. That 
were walking with their hands straight out and yes. like, like an army of zombies and they had this paper stuck to their right. head. Yeah, so these are called the jiangshi or corpses. <laughs> um, so it literally means like, yeah, corpses yeah. sort of you know, rising from the dead. And yeah, they will always, has, always have their hands like yeah. stretched right. out in front of them. By the way, now we're in the studio kind of stretching our hands out <laughs> and kind of hopping on our feet <laughs> because that's how they move as well. And they would have this talisman on their forehead. Yeah. And that is actually a sealing spell. Um, so anyway, these corpses were really scary because their skin would kind of be like greenish white. Mm. Um, sometimes they would just be powder white, right? And then they would wear these um, scholarly robes usually. And these were just corpses that rose from the dead and would come and haunt you. Usually they have unfinished business or you've done them a grievance. Yes. Um, and then they will come and like look for you and try to make you um, pay for what you did. And yes. I think the idea is that they would, um, I don't know, like bite you or they would pull you down into the depths of hell together with them. Um, so that was definitely something that gave me nightmares. And also the female version, um, usually they were looking very ethereal. So they would wear like white night dresses mm. um, and then they would always have very long hair. Yes. And sometimes they would kind of obscure their faces so you weren't really sure what you're looking at. And you they knew were just they were female. Yeah, you will know they're female because I think their bodies look very frail. They look kind of um, smaller and they would just kind of float, you know, into your vision, into your line of vision. And that's really freaky. And that reminds me also of, you know, the, the ring yeah. in the 90s. Oh my goodness. That one. That was so scary. That was really scary. So that was about um, this woman who would appear on TV, right? Yeah. And it was. And you will get a phone call. Yeah. That's why it's the ring. The Ring. Oh, right. Okay, I never knew that because I never watched it. <laughs> I was too afraid. But, you know, that vision of um, the, the person coming from the TV and, you know, we mm. would watch TV and sometimes they would have that grey static yeah. thing that comes out and that's when she she will appear, yeah. right? So Yeah, I remember in the 2000s, again, Korean and Japanese horror was really um, a huge genre. Was a, a huge genre and I was in secondary school back then and I was younger so I would go there and watch all these shows for cheap thrills. Mm -hmm. um, and I mean, right, I guess our relationship in Asia and in Singapore in general to spirits and ghosts, we're quite familiar with them, especially as we have different cultures here, no? Mm. And in for the Malayan folk tales or like Malayan ghost stories, we also have um, a similar vampire female called the Pontiana That's who also right. has very long hair yes. and she is associated with banana trees and yeah and this frangipani smell and I know so it's quite sensorial and definitely and um, yeah very scary and I mean the Pontiana yes is like the Malay version of you know this idea of the the woman who has passed away but under really tragic circumstances and yes. they, they have unresolved business and they kind of occupy that realm between life and death and they yeah. come back and then they they just you know are untethered you know and that's really scary so Pontiana is actually also the title of a 1957 Singaporean Malay horror film um, directed by Indian film director Balakrishna Narayana Rao. He's known as B.N. Rao. And it starred this actress called Maria Manado. Mm. Um, and it was, yeah, so it's based on the idea of the Malay um, Pontianak. It's a blood-sucking ghost, actually. Yeah. Apparently, that's the definition of it. And the Pontianaks are usually women who have died from childbirth. And so Pontianak, the film, was so successful uh, when it 
premiered in 1957 in the local Cathay cinemas, that there were two sequels. Uh, so Dendam Pontianak, Revenge of the Pontianak, and Sumpa Pontianak, Curse of the Pontianak. And the second film in that series came out in the same year and the third one the year after. Mm-hmm. So you can see how, you know, it was really popular. Yeah. And then at the same time, I believe that the rival film studio, so that was Cathay, the yes. rival film studio Shaw, Shaw Brothers. Yeah, they also produced um, their own Pontiana trio of films um, because they knew that these would bring in the crowds. Yeah. yeah. So those two studios were very prolific during that time. Yes. And they were bringing in Hollywood-style um, equipment mm. and they set up in Singapore so that's a very interesting time in Singaporean For film sure. f- history and I'm sure it would be very interesting also to see the people who were doing the costumes at that time. Yes. Maybe I for another episode. Definitely. <laughs> Maybe for Halloween. Maybe for we Halloween. We could do a horror part too. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, you know, right now in Singapore, uh, we have what is called the Ghost Month. So mm-hmm. it's the seventh month um, in the lunar calendar. And, you know, it is a Taoist and Buddhist belief that uh, during this month, there are hungry ghosts or ghosts who are like looking for... Um, I guess people to haunt, <laughs> uh, restless spirits, and they cause mischief um, during this month. So I think, was it last week? We saw lots of people kind of burning Jaws paper yeah. and offering um, yes. things and, and to And at the side the on the pavements, yeah. um, you would see uh, candles that are stuck down yeah. to, to the soil and some offerings like um, cupcakes, this cupcake-looking... Right, um, Pastries. Yeah, it's called fakao, I think. Yeah, so you know, just food and um, yeah. you know, money, paper money, yes. and even paper clothes yeah. as well, right? And we have specific bins where they are burning their mm. paper. It's miniatures of of objects, no? Yeah. So you know, you would have like miniature handphones uh, yeah. made of paper, miniature clothing. A you can Ferrari. buy them as a set, by yeah. the way. <laughs> They are very fashionable outfits. Um, yeah, I've seen them. <laughs> and so it's sort of to appease the ghosts, um, mm-hmm. to tell them, like, please, you know, leave me alone, essentially. And, you know, that's really fun for us to think about um, horror then, you know, for this episode, because we see how it is actually something that we grapple with um, in daily life. Mm-hmm. And on that note, I was just wondering about horror in fashion, um, in our wardrobes, oh, Danny. Well, <laughs> well, there's a whole book on that that was written by Alison Matthews David, and I was gifted this book actually before I left London, mm. and it's it was uh, published in 2015, and it's called Fashion Victims: The Dangers of Dress, Past and Present. Mm-hmm. And I think what's really interesting is that, of course, they look at the Victorian obsession with death, but they look at the very material and real. Um, horrors in the fashion industry and in the materiality of clothes. So, for example, um, before aniline dyes, we used to have... What are aniline dyes? They are these synthetic dyes mm. that became very popular, but in in the end, they realized that they were poisonous to the skin. Oh, gosh. But they were bringing in so much money that the manufacturers refused to stop it, and women would continue wearing them even though they knew that it gave them... Um, it poisoned their skin. Oh dear. So the Victorian Albert Museum in London actually has examples of this dress. Right. In green, this aniline green dress. And there's different examples. Of course, they are very Western-centric mm-hmm. on different things that women used to put on their skin. Like even makeup that had merc- mercury mm. or things that were really bad for you. Um, and the book ends with 
like a reflection on how fast fashion and sweatshops are. Also, we know how bad they are for people, for the environment. But the multi-billion dollar industry just refuses to do anything about this because it's so hard to change it and to... And these people are so far away from us that uh, a day-to-day consumer doesn't really think about this. Yeah, and I'm thinking about the word victim as well and, you know, how um, maybe in China the most popular example and most well-known example would be the practice of foot binding. Oh, yeah. um, Which started off... um, When was this? I think from like the 12th or 13th century, Mm -hmm. there have been examples of shoes that are just impossibly small. Um, So in Chinese, we call it chanzu or binding of the feet. And what happens is, I mean, I'm sure you know about this as well, right? They would actually fracture the bones in the feet. Ouch. I know, even saying it just sounds so terrible. But then they would also bind um, the feet with um, cloths so as to create this apparently desired shape of the foot similar to that of a ballerina mm-hmm. um, wearing ballet shoes and they talked about this beautiful shape as the jinglian or the golden lotus shape so kind of taking um, inspiration from nature there um, or as we might call it like gilded lilies as well okay so this really beautiful idea for a very horrific kind of practice but what people may not know is that this was only for the very um, wealthy or the very privileged. So the idea is that, you know, if you don't have to do, like, housework and you don't have to work in general, and you can just kind of sit and be attended to, then you can afford to have your feet bound. Mm-hmm. Um, because once you've bound your feet, I, I believe it would be very hard to walk or to move around. I don't think they could walk at all. Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, it just sounds really pitiful, you know, that something belonging to... Um, the privileged classes would actually kind of immobilize them. Um, But what's interesting is that by the time, you know, it came to, I think, like the late 1800s, early 1900s, um, because it seemed such a covetable thing to do because it was a sign of wealth, a sign of privilege, Mm -hmm. that more and more people were doing it. So because of that, it fell out of favour because then it wasn't special anymore if you had your feet bound. Well, yeah, thank goodness, right? But it had... To take a lot of people to absorb. yeah and then when I read about these things and think like oh you know how could they do this to themselves and or when I'm talking about corsets with my students which I did this week um, in a lecture about uh, late 1800 mm-hmm. fashion and we think about the corsets or about foot binding and we think like wow why did women subject themselves to these things but I don't think we've stopped really because I'm sure Danny you have you know that pair of shoes in your in your closet that's just like really painful to wear but looks so good that you've squeezed your feet into them and kind of had to pay for it the following day with like the blisters and the sore arches of your feet. Um, I feel like right now we're going through a very, like kind of like a comfortable um, trend in fashion. Mm -hmm. For example, with sneakers. Right. So I don't feel like I have those things so much anymore in my Mm. cupboard. But, I do remember when I was younger, I wear these crazy heels that mm. did hurt, but they look great and made me tall. <laughs> yeah, right. And you just wanted to tower over people. And yeah. also, I think it makes you feel grown up or it made me feel grown up. You know, mm-hmm. the idea that I'm wearing heels now when I couldn't before um, and I can wear these without anyone telling me you shouldn't wear that. Yeah. Um, I think it's hard to just judge things. I mean, of course, we know that the foot binding practices were really painful and grotesque and... And we wouldn't do that now. But I remember I read an an interview of a man um, who was 
looking back at this and he also didn't understand why but he also found it attractive mm. so it's almost like this um, social mania that kind of makes everybody think that yes this is the beautiful thing yeah to to want yeah I mean, that's how fashion trends begin, right? So once you have, like, a group of people who think, yes, that is the standard uh, of beauty, um, then, you know, you, you just kind of go to it together yeah. as a group. And, I mean, plastic surgery is also painful, I'm sure. Yes, but you know what? You have to suffer for your beauty, I guess. <laughs> um, but... Uh, just now when you were talking about the book Fashion Victims, yes. you mentioned the idea of um, how, or rather you mentioned the reality of sweatshops um, that's included in the book. And I'm thinking about how that remains something also horrific, right, in mm. the industry. Um, yes. The idea of child labour for one, um, or, you know, about factories that don't come up to standard and are dangerous places for people to work. Yeah. Did you watch The True Cost? It's on Netflix, I believe, now. Mm. And there's this... Coming back to TV again, guys. I'm so (laughs) sorry, but it's doing a very good job of putting things I want to watch. Yeah. (laughs) So, in The True Cost, there is this particular scene in um, Cambodia, I think, where the women are protesting for um, minimum wage, and it's like something ridiculous, like $2, $3, and Mm. it's only a little bit more... And then there's the military hitting them and, like, just enforcing this violence to stop them from from doing that. And it was mm. just so painful to watch that for our cheap clothes, we are willing to let humans suffer this way. Yeah, and I think that's one of the horrors of the industry that, you know, people tr- probably aren't aware of. Mm-hmm. Um, that I think we should educate ourselves about. Because for all the talk about sustainability, I mean, last episode we talked about plastic and yeah. the sustainability of the material. um, materials used. Mm-hmm. But there's also there are also other horrors, you know, um, other horrific practices in the industry that we should be aware of, um, that we should put a stop to. Because I think sometimes what we are concerned about is also depending on what's trending at the moment. And I think, you know, right now we are kind of obsessing about like materiality and the sustainability of that but there are so many other things that we need to be aware of um, that could inform our decisions to buy or not to buy um, to create more awareness about yeah yeah and even i mean rounding off that Mm. links actually back to in fabric because in fabric had this scene where on the dress you could see a little embroidery Um, of this curse that was embroidered onto the dress. Mm -hmm. And it reminded me very much, I mean, it's a British filmmaker, so I'm wondering if he was also inspired by, a couple of years ago, there was this viral um, story. Primark one? Yes, about a Primark garment that had on its content label an embroidery that said, help me, or like horrific working conditions, something like that. And at the beginning, the person who found it was like, oh my gosh, this is like written by somebody in a sweatshop. And yeah. and like, um, it, it was along with the whole uh, conversation about sustainability and, and working conditions. And then later on, they realized that maybe it was an activist doing this as like a, a call for attention to mm. the realities of the fashion system. Right. To reveal the horrors of the yeah. fashion industry, I guess. Yeah. So on that somber note, <laughs> um, we've talked about horror today in a myriad of ways, mm-hmm. about um, everything from costume to the past season's collections to films and TV shows in the West and in Asia. Yeah. Um, and also to the realities of 
horror or instances of horror that we've witnessed in everyday dressing. <laughs> so we hope you've enjoyed this episode. I'm Nadia. And I'm Danny. Thank you for listening. Bye. Bye.